Well, welcome to 2019. Woo, we made it. We made it. I don't know about you, but at, at this time of the year, I always like to take some time to kind of step back, to reflect on the past year, to look forward to the next year, and to oftentimes make resolutions and to make goals. And so recently, I was going through one of my old journals, and I came across a list of resolutions that I made a few years back. And, and here's some of the ones I wrote. Number one, lose 10 pounds. Two, exercise three times a week. Write in my journal once a week. Call one friend each week. Read 30 minutes per day. Read one book per month. Blog once per week. Read my Bible and pray daily. Finish my sermons by Wednesday. And the list went on and on. And then when I added all of them up for that year, there were 29 resolutions that I made in total. And guess how many of those I actually completed? No, like three of them. Yeah, come on, y'all. I completed like three of them. And in that sense, I'm pretty much like most Americans, right? This is the time of the year where we think, you know what? New year, new me. It's all going to change coming up. This is the week. This is the day. This is the time. Even though I failed every other year, this is going to be it. And then you know how it is. The line at Panera for salads is a lot longer some of the gyms, they move in extra treadmills and rowers and all the extra equipment. We wake up early and we're like, you know what? I made it through Genesis and my year through the Bible. I'm going to do it this year. And then it's usually around Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend <laughs> when the gym moves out the extra equipment and things have kind of faded out. The line at Panda Express is a lot longer, which is my favorite fast food. We begin sleeping in a little bit more. We go back to our routine. All the grand ideas that we had at Christmas when we didn't have work or school or anything else going on, they've kind of faded away. And we end up feeling this kind of angst and this guilt that, okay, yet again, I tried to, to do it all. I tried to change myself. And here I am, pretty much a new year and the same old me. This is a cycle that a lot of us go through every new year. This cycle of making resolutions, of trying really hard, and of failing, and then just kind of living up pretty much our same lives as before. And so this year, I want to invite you to do something new. Instead of resolving to do a list of two things or 29 things like I tried that one year, I want to invite you to quit. I want to invite you to quit in this new year. And specifically, I want to invite you to quit some things that I believe God, that is holding you back from all that God wants you to be. And I believe that if you're willing to quit these things, then this year your life will actually change for the better. And you'll begin becoming that person that you believe you want to be and that God wants you to be. And so in this series, um, kicking off the new year, it's simply titled, I Quit. Say that with me. I Quit quit. And each week we're going to be looking at a different thing. And so it's the beginning of the new year and our willpower is up. I thought we'd start with one of the most difficult things. And that is to quit holding on to hurts that we've experienced in the past. To quit holding on to all of those old things and begin to let go. And whenever I think of, of holding on to hurts that we've experienced, and you know how it is, then grudges begin to grow, then resentment begins to grow, and then we begin to try to retaliate. Whenever I think of holding on to old hurts and grudges growing, I always think back to the cafeteria at Rockdale County High School. Go Bulldogs. 
Because it was there in the, in the cafeteria at my high school that I felt like people's hurts and their grudges and retaliation was on full display. Because you know how it was in high school. So, you know, somebody talked about somebody else's mom and they got their feelings hurt. And then somebody stole somebody else's boyfriend and there was a lot of jealousy and there was a lot of anger. Somebody found out on Monday that they didn't get invited to the party. You know, back then you didn't have social media to see everything you were excluded from. So then you find out on Monday that you didn't get invited and then people are angry with each other. And so someone got their feelings hurt. Resentment began to grow and then they decided to get revenge and to retaliate. And so in the lunchroom is where all of this kind of took place and you'd often see it you know what, somebody would come to the table like they usually do and, and their friend or their ex-friend would say, you know what, you're not welcome here anymore. Or people would sit like they normally do and they would act like everything was okay and they would put a smile on their face but deep down they would be cold and they wouldn't be talking to the other person. Or at my high school, the lunchroom is always where the fights broke out. Teachers, can you say amen? Does it still happen that way? It's like the lunchroom is always where the fights break out. And this is where I saw this pattern on display over and over again. And this is because this is the pattern that the world teaches us. This is how the world teaches us to deal with things when we've been hurt. It's to begin to resent other people, to hold on to grudges, and then to seek retaliation. You might have heard it said this way, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is what we've been taught by the world from a very young age. And a lot of times, you know, we think it maybe it just stays in the high school cafeteria. But it goes well beyond that. It goes before that and it goes long, long after that. I mean, when you think about little kids, one, one kid, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to let you share. I'm not going to share my toy with you. So then the other kid's like, okay, well, I'm not going to share my toy with you. You see this with like two-year-olds. And then you see it, you know what, on social media these days, parents, uh, this is how it is. You know, it's like, oh, you don't like my photos? You never comment on my stuff? Well, I'm not going to like your stuff. I'm not going to comment on your photos. (laughs) We do this with people. You know what, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You talk about my family, well, then I'm going to talk about your family. Spouses, you know, one comes home and they're in a bad mood, and so the other spouse says, you know what, I'm going to withhold affection from you. I'm not going to care for you like I normally do we see this over and over again in our world? When someone has wronged us, our immediate feeling is that resentment, is the grudge beginning to grow and then seeking retaliation. A lot of times we expend a lot of energy and emotion in the process and relationships are destroyed, families are destroyed. And we don't really live into the identity we don't live as the people that God wants us to be. And this, this uh, idea of retaliation and holding on to old hurts and grudges, keeping them close to our vest, this isn't anything new. I mean, this is something people in Jesus' day, they believed and they taught as well. And so you can imagine it was pretty radical when Jesus comes on the scene one day in the Sermon on the Mount and he says this in the book of Matthew. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them 
two miles. I mean, you can imagine their response when they heard Jesus say this, when he, when he flipped this whole way of dealing with these hurts on its head. And you can imagine your reaction. It's probably like my reaction. I mean, when I read this, I'm like, really, Jesus? Are you living in the same world that I'm living in? Because if you live like this, then you're going to get walked upon. You're going to get stomped on. People are going to continue to violate you over and over again. There's not going to be any justice in the world. But then, you know, when you keep reading it and you think about Jesus and all his profound teachings, you have to admit, well, maybe he's on to something here. Maybe I could forgive somebody once. Maybe I could forgive somebody twice, but if people keep doing these things, that's not supposed to just keep turning my cheek. And these are the same questions that people in Jesus' day had. People like Peter, who was great at asking the questions everybody else had. Peter, who one day goes to Jesus, and he says to him, well, Lord, that, that's kind of a difficult teaching, but how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus says, hey, look, if somebody's wronging you, don't, don't just forgive them once. If they do it again, not just twice, not three times, not seven times, but 77 times, or as some older manuscripts put it, 70 times seven. And here, Jesus isn't giving some kind of mathematical calculation. Here, he's speaking in terms of completion. He's saying every single time, you're called to forgive someone. Thankfully, he doesn't just leave us with that difficult truth. Thankfully, he goes on and he begins to explain why this is the case and how we can actually live that out. And he does this by telling everybody who's listening that day a parable. A parable found in Matthew Chapter 18, a parable that goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlements, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I just want to pause right there. So the NIV, let's go back one slide. The NIV puts it in the newer versions like this, 10,000 bags of gold. But it's footnoted that that is 10,000 talents. And now, to convert that into today's terms and in the terms of that day, that's 5,000 times what one person could hope to make in their lifetime. That's how much this guy, this servant, owes to the master. So basically, he's saying this guy owed a gazillion dollars. And then he continues, And since the man was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now here, this is a hundred denarii. This is about three months worth of wages, a tiny fraction of what he owed. And this first servant, he grabbed this man, he began to choke him, and he said to him, pay back 
what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, the first servant, and he said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus closes with this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. the beginning of the story, that first servant who owed a lot of money, I mean, he was getting ready to be imprisoned for his entire life. Or work for his entire life to pay this debt off that really he could never pay. His family was going to be enslaved. Everything was pretty much over for him when all of a sudden he gets a new lease on life. He gets freedom. All of this debt that he owed was now forgiven and so you can imagine after that meeting with the master that first meeting that he probably just kind of like danced on out of the room right and just kind of strolled down the street he was feeling really good that everything had changed for him now his life was on the up and up because this debt was off of his shoulders and then he comes across the other servant who owes him a little bit of money a fraction of that money and after that servant begs for mercy and for patience, just like the first servant did. He says, no, 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 no. And he has him put in jail until he can pay for everything. And all along, the other servants, the other people around are watching all of this, and they have the same response that you and I do. They're thinking, really? Really? And so they go and tell the king, the master. And the master puts their feelings into words. He he puts our feelings into words when he says this, when he says, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And this is the place in the parable where we see why the first servant was so wrong for not extending forgiveness. Why Jesus tells Peter that you have to forgive every time. Why Jesus tells us that we have to quit holding on to all of these things and nursing these grudges and letting resentment and bitterness grow. We discover why we're called to forgive. And it's because God calls us to forgive others just as we've been forgiven by him. God calls us to forgive others just as we've been forgiven by him. And and while we probably don't want to view ourselves this way, if we were to insert ourselves in this parable, whether we like it or not, we're probably more like the first servant than any other character in this parable. 
Because you see, you and I, because of our sin that, that we've been doing since our earliest days of life, we owe God an insurmountable debt. A debt of honor, a debt of obedience. We owe him so much because of our sin and the ways we've been disobedient to him. We owe him like a gazillion. And we can really never hope to repay it. But a lot of times we're like the first servant and and we try and we say to God, God, you know what, if you'll just be patient with me, if you'll just give me a little time, it's 2019, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to do better, I'm going to, yeah. And we say, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm going to strive, I'm going to make a difference. And God looks at us and he says, you can never pay this debt that you owe. It's way too high. No matter how much good you do in your life or try to do or strive, you can never make up for this debt of sin that you owe to me. But the good news of the gospel is that God, like the master in the story, he says to us, he says, I forgive your debt. I am setting you free. You don't have to live with the weight of that burden of sin anymore. He says, look, I sent my son Jesus into this world to live the life of perfect obedience that you could only hope to live. I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross, the death, the punishment for sin that you deserve. He took all of that onto himself so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free. He says, go. Go with newness of life. Go with freedom. Go with forgiveness. And go. Forgive other people. We're like that first servant. We've had our debt forgiven and removed. But also like that first servant, once we're walking in this newness of life that Jesus offers us, once we walk out of the doors on church on Sunday morning, we encounter someone who has hurt us. We encounter someone who has done us wrong and we think, oh, no, 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 they owe me. They need to repay me. They need to make this right. Our pride says, I can't, I can't just let this go. And if they say, I'm sorry, we say, you know what? Well, I don't think they're sorry enough. We love to hold on to these hurts and have people feel like they're indebted to us because what they've done to us, because it, it makes our pride feel good. It makes us feel justified. And so like that servant... We don't let other people off the hook. We don't show them the same mercy that they've shown to us. And it's in those moments that Jesus, sometimes in a whisper, sometimes in a sermon on Sunday morning, he calls out to us. And he says, shouldn't you have mercy? Just like I've had mercy on you. Shouldn't you extend forgiveness just like I've extended my forgiveness to you? And in that same message, Jesus also reminds us of the stark reminder that we see in this parable. That our forgiveness from him is connected with our forgiveness of others. And if you recall the words of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespasses from others. God calls us to forgive other people as we've been forgiven. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Because forgiveness 
and quitting holding on to these grudges, it's so countercultural. The world every day is teaching us how to get back and how to retaliate to people. But how do we do the hard work of forgiveness? Because forgiveness is tough stuff. And some of the toughest stories of forgiveness, some of the most profound stories of forgiveness actually come out of the toughest and most violent situations in our world. And some of you here might remember hearing about the genocide that took place in Rwanda in the 1990s. It was an ethnic conflict between the Hutus and the Tutsis. And in 1994, in 100 days, over 1 million people in that nation were killed. Over 1 million people in 100 days. This conflict split the country in half, it split communities in half, and it split families in half. It split apart people like John and Chantel, who you see here. See, John and Chantel, they grew up in kind of the same neighborhood together. John was good friends with her father. He helped throw her a party when she was confirmed in the church. But there was one key difference between the two of them. John was a Hutu, Chantel was a Tutsi. During the conflict, 28 out of 30 of Chantel's family members were killed, including her husband and her father. And tragically, it was John who killed her father, his friend. One day, in kind of a mob mentality of violence, he and some other people from the warring tribe came over, dragged him out of his house, and beat him to death. We know this because he confessed to it. And he was put in prison for many years. But in 2003, the, the prisons in Rwanda were so overcrowded with all of these people who had done terrible things that the president said, hey, you know what? We've got to release some prisoners. And so some people who had confessed to crimes, they were released. And so one day, 60,000 prisoners were released. And so people like John, well, they went back to the communities that they were from. And so there you had John, who was feeling a lot of guilt, a lot of remorse, a lot of shame, as you can imagine, back in his old community. And you had Chantel, who was still dealing with a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness, a lot of hatred. But it was around that time, this group that was facilitating conversations around reconciliation came into the area and invited them to take part in kind of a peacemaking process. And it was through that process that Chantel was able to forgive John. And this picture is actually taken after that forgiveness took place. And the sign that they're holding says shared past and shared future. And their story is told in a powerful documentary, which I highly recommend I think it's streaming some places called As We Forgive. And in that documentary, we discover how she was able to forgive John. And she says that it was by remembering the good news. 
the good news of what God had done for her through Jesus Christ. And I love this quote that comes in the movie. She says this, she says, how can I refuse to forgive when I'm a forgiven sinner too? According to God's word, I'm called to forgive him for I did not create this man. We're called to forgive others just as we've been forgiven by God. And while you might not have an experience like this where one of your family members was killed by another friend, we've all gone through very difficult experiences. We've all been hurt in many different ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And like Chantel, a lot of times we wonder, is forgiveness even possible? In Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mountain, in this parable, he tells us, yes, it is possible. But whenever Jesus is talking about forgiveness, he doesn't promise that it's going to be quick or that it's going to be easy. Because after all, the forgiveness of humanity, it costs Jesus his life. And as one of my professors wrote, forgiveness is costly because it requires us to do some hard work. It requires us to look back and be honest about the past and how we've been hurt and how we've been sinned against, which can be painful. It requires us to look to the future and to actually have a little hope and believe that, that forgiveness and reconciliation is even possible. And it requires us in the present to really reflect and remember the forgiveness that God has shown to us. And, and Chantel and John, this wasn't some instant process a forgiveness that took place for them. In the end, it took Chantel 15 years to get to that point. To get to that point of letting go and of experiencing the freedom that God had for her. And I believe if they were here today and they were able to tell their story to you personally, they would let you know that forgiveness isn't human. It's divine. It's divine because it always begins with God and his forgiveness that he pours out upon us. And then it continues as his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness flow through us to other people. And so I don't know how you've been wronged. I don't know what people have done to you. But I know that forgiveness is possible. And it's God's preferred future for your life. And the symbol of forgiveness that we have in our church and in churches all around the world is the cross. We, we have one over here. If you notice, when you walk up to the front of our building, we have two large crosses in the front windows. And the cross is this universal symbol of forgiveness because it's on the cross where we, we get the two aspects of forgiveness. We see the vertical aspect of the forgiveness that we receive from God through the death of his son Jesus Christ on the cross for us. But it's also through the cross that we remember the, the horizontal aspect of forgiveness. 
that, that Jesus wants us to extend our arms and he wants us to extend forgiveness to other people in our lives as well. And on our cross this morning, you might not can tell from where you're seated, but the cross is actually full of little white flags. And the white flag has been a symbol almost since the time of Jesus of quitting, of surrender, of saying, you know what? I want this war to be over. I want the pain to stop. I want peace to take place. And so this morning, we actually have a little white flag for every single person in this room. And these white flags, I mean, at first, they're a symbol, one, uh, of God's grace to us. And his words to us that the war against sin is over. That we don't have to strive, we don't have to try to earn God's forgiveness or to make things right. That through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection, we can have peace with God. We can have a relationship with him. We can have new life. But beyond that, the white flags are also a symbol that he wants us to quit holding on to those hurts in the past, to quit nursing those grudges, to quit letting the resentment and the bitterness grow. They're a sign that he wants us to take white flags to other people and to extend peace in all of our relationships across our community, across our country, and across our world. And so as we close this morning, I simply want to invite you to take one step towards forgiveness. One step towards quit, quitting holding on to those things. One step to becoming the person that God has created you to be. And for some of you this morning, that step might simply be acknowledging, maybe for the first time, that God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ. That your debt has been paid, that you've been set free. Maybe that's the step for you this morning. Maybe your step is simply praying for someone you consider an enemy. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. And and I've seen it work in my own life. And I believe if you begin praying for them, God will begin changing your heart. So maybe that's your step is praying for enemies or people who you feel like have hurt you in the past. Maybe your step is just simply acknowledging pain that you've been tucking away, hurts that you've kind of hidden, that you've been carrying with you, but you kind of really haven't noticed it. They're just like a backpack of weight you've been carrying for many years. Maybe it's just acknowledging those. Maybe it's just asking God, God, give me the grace to forgive someone today. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it can happen in an instant. Maybe it's praying for boldness to have a conversation with someone after this service or in this service. I don't know. But today, I want to challenge you to take that next step. And so in just a minute, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. I invite you to pray, to talk with God. And if you're willing to take that next step, I invite you to come take one of these white flags, take it home with you, put it somewhere that you'll see as a reminder that peace is on the horizon. 
Would you stand with me? God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the cross. We thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness that comes to us freely. All we have to do is to accept that gift. And God, we pray that you would help us to let that forgiveness flow through us and that we could extend it to other people. And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thank you.